Greetings to all of you here at Walnut Hill Community Church and to those of you in the Bethel campus, to all of you in Waterbury, New Milford, the Valley and those watching online. My name is Victoria Kovarik. I'm one of the pastors here at Walnut Hill Community Church and we are continuing in our sermon series called The Great Gift Exchange. We're looking at those things that we give to God and the beautiful gifts that He gives to us. And this morning we're looking at giving God your grief and receiving His joy. Now, we're in the Christmas season, and for some, this is an incredibly joyful season. Lots of good things come. You love this time of year. For others, this is a very painful season. And there's lots of sorrow and grief in this moment. And yet... We remember at Christmas a God who never stayed distant but became present. A God who is the joy giver and brings joy, not necessarily happy feelings, but a deep sense of his presence, a deep sense of his hope, a deep sense of gratitude for who he is even in the midst of sorrow and of pain. And so that is what we're going to look at today as we dig into this passage of Scripture. Now we're looking at a passage from Isaiah. If you are English in the room, that is Isaiah. And if I muddle them up today, please forgive me because my brain is fudge. But we are looking at Isaiah and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 35 verses 8 to 10. And before we go there, I just want to give a little bit of context. You see, we have had King David. You remember King David? He, he was so powerful and did so well. And then his son, King Solomon, takes over. And then what happens after King Solomon is the people of Israel get divided. And they are divided into a northern kingdom and they're divided into a southern kingdom. In fact, if you're looking at a map, and you see the top of the Dead Sea and you draw a line, everything to the north, including the Sea of Galilee, that would belong to the northern kingdom that is known as Israel. Everything from the, from the Dead Sea down, including Jerusalem, that was known as the southern kingdom, and that was known as Judah. And Isaiah the prophet is writing to the kingdom of Judah. He's writing to those in that southern kingdom. And that southern kingdom is surrounded by other nations. And there is a resounding topic that Isaiah says to the people of Judah. He says, who do you trust? Do you trust God or do you trust the nations? Do you trust in the God who brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of slavery? Do you trust in Him? Or do you look to everybody else to solve the problems that you're facing? You see, the people of Judah are a people under pressure. The nations around them are wanting to defeat and destroy them, including Israel. And so there are people under pressure and there are people that have the habit of turning to everybody else for help. And we see that with King Ahaz, who takes all the items dedicated to God from the temple and he takes them to the king of Assyria to ask him to help him. And basically Judah's response to the question, who do you trust is, we trust those with weapons, we trust those with power, we trust people we can see. And Isaiah says, don't trust in the God in whom you worship, look to him. And so what we have in Isaiah chapter 35 is a 
gift to the people of Israel. It's a poem. And it's a poem of hope to people who are under pressure. It's written to them in the midst of this moment when the nations around them seem to be pressing in, when they feel like they're in a wilderness. And Isaiah writes that that wilderness, that desert will have springs that come forth. But he also writes to a people who have not yet been sent into exile, but one day they will. To a people who are going to be taken from their land. They're going to have to leave Jerusalem and they're going to get taken to Babylon. And you know what is between Babylon and Jerusalem? It's a desert. The Arabian desert is between them. And so these words in Isaiah 35 will stand as a promise, even in the sorrow, even in the struggle, even in the pain that is ahead. The God who can bring water in the desert is the God in whom they can cling. The one who brings that promise of joy, that is the God that we're going to look to. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you today, to turn to Isaiah chapter 35. So if you look at Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, then you get to Isaiah. If you get to Jeremiah, you've gone too far, so come back. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 35, when I found it. And we're going to look at the beginning of this passage. Isaiah 35 reads this way. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, and I love this verse, with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and the springs of water. And I lost my spot, so I'm going to find it. And this, um, the parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And then we get to the passage that was read, and a great road will go throughout that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Amen. 
Isn't that a beautiful passage? And so I want to begin this morning by praying that the Lord would speak to us, whether we feel like we're in a wilderness or whether we're actually in a very joyful season, that somehow this day we will encounter the one who gives joy. So let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for these words of promise given to the people of Israel in a, uh, the people of Judah in a moment when they felt under pressure. And Lord, for those in this room who feel under pressure, I pray that you would encounter them today. You would encounter us today. That we might know your joy, not just happy feelings, but that deep sense of your presence. That you are one who is trustworthy and brings hope even when we can't see it. Lord, we ask that you administer this morning the gift of your joy and your presence to your people. Because Lord, I believe we're here because we're hungry to hear from you. And so we ask that by your spirit, you might move in this place. That you might speak to our hearts. You might lead us on for the glory of your name. Amen. And so there are three things I want to share this morning. And the first is this, there is a promise of joy. So Judah lives in this fallen world. It lives in a place of pressure. And we live in a fallen world and we live in a place of pressure. But if you read this poem, you see time and time again, over 20 times we see the word will. It's not that they're in this moment of amazing joy, but it is a promise of it. It will happen. They are trusting in a God who will restore, who can restore. And one day, the place of barrenness, one day, the place of wilderness, of, of desert is going to spring forth with water. Plants are going to grow. Miracles are going to happen. Not because they are so good, but because they trust in a God who is so God and a God who can. Do you know that our God can? Do you trust in a God who is not confined by the limitations of this world, but he is a God of power? And actually this Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of a baby in a manger, we celebrate the coming of a king the one who will eventually die on a cross and defeat sin and death, the one who will make it possible one day for us to go and be with God forever. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. That's the point. We celebrate a God who can bring joy in the hardest moments, a God who is a God of mystery and majesty and power, of love and compassion of wonder and a God of relationship who longs that you might know him, longs to invite you into his promise of joy, a joy that comes as we encounter the joy giver. Second thing we see in this passage is there is a journey to joy. And you see that especially in verses 8 to 10. For those who put their trust in God, there is a journey. There is a highway of holiness. And it is a highway of holiness because it goes towards a holy God. God is holy, set apart, pure and, and mighty. And the incredible thing is that we, sinners that we know we are, 
If we have come to God and said, I am sorry for how I've lived, please forgive me. You know what? He's washed you clean. He's made you pure. He's set you apart. He has declared that you are no longer a sinner, but a saint. You have been made holy. Now I know that we're on a journey of being made holy and one day we'll be fully holy when we see Him face to face. But He has declared you are holy if you've put your trust in Him and therefore He's invited you on to this journey of holiness, this highway of holiness with Him and towards Him. And this highway is not something that we make. It's not something we have to build as we go along the way. It's not our good efforts that somehow we do in order to make this path towards God. No, it's a highway that he has laid out and he's inviting us to walk on it, to walk towards him, to choose to live in a way that honors him, to invite him into the struggles and the challenges of each day, to trust in his cleansing through the blood of Jesus that enables us to walk the road. And so we ask the question, who can go on this road? And verse eight is very clear. Those who can go on this road are those who have been redeemed and rescued. No sinner can go on it. But if you have put your hope in Jesus Christ, if you have given him your life, if you surrender to him, then you have been redeemed and you have been rescued and you are invited into this journey. But the passage goes on. In fact, the rest of verse 8 is notoriously difficult to translate in Hebrew. And you see in the different translations of the Bible, there's, there's two ways to look at this. And we see in the New Living Translation that we read, fools is, is taken in this idea of an evil-minded, these, these sinful, wrong ways of being. Fools who reject God are not going to walk on this path. That's one way to translate the verse. But the... There is another way to translate it, and I find it most helpful in the Living Bible. So let me read it. Isaiah 35 verse 8 says, And a main road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Holy Highway. No evil-hearted men may walk upon it. God will walk there with you. And even the most stupid cannot miss the way. Now, I really like that. Even the most stupid cannot miss the way. So even those who don't have the intellectual capacity, they're not going to miss it. But even those who do have intellectual capacity, but not much common sense, they're not going to miss it either. That it's not dependent on our natural ability. If we have surrendered our life to him, he's going to lead us and we can't possibly miss it because he is good and he knows where he's leading us that actually this highway is available for all of us who've been declared saints. This highway cannot be missed. We won't miss him, whatever our abilities and intellectual capacity and common sense, because it is a way of relationship. The God who we remember as Emmanuel, God with us, we remember him at Christmas, is the one that will walk with us on that highway. And by the power of his spirit will enable us to follow and to journey that we might one day be with him face to face. But there's a third thing that we read in, and it's actually in verse nine about this highway. 
we read that it's going to be a safe place. No lion will get you. No robber will distract you. Nothing will stop you from walking on that road because it is a safe place. It's a place to journey towards joy in the faith that you have. Why? Because we're trusting in the joy giver. We're trusting in the one who by his spirit promised to give love and joy and peace. Not fluffy feelings, but a sense of his presence in what might be the best and the worst of times. A year ago, I had the privilege of being with a family from this church and I've spoken with them and they're willing for me to share their story this day. So I want to share with you about a young man called Peter. Peter Asiedo grew up here at Walnut Hill Community Church. He was 19 years old and he had gone to the park to skate. And he was walking back to his house and he got hit by a car. And this was Saturday night. He ended up on life support and on Wednesday his heart stopped beating. And you can imagine the grief of this family. See, everybody's journey with grief is unique, and so I don't share this to compare, but just to share with you their journey and their story. The mother, Alberta, loves Jesus, is a very prayerful woman, and yet this loss was so painful, and she had so many questions, and in fact, she seemed almost physically burdened with the questions that were on her heart. She'd been fasting prior to Peter's death. She'd actually been fasting and and then Peter died and she looked back on that moment and said, well, was God preparing me for what came? What, What was this all about? How do I understand what was happening? And so in the midst of the confusion and in the midst of the pain, she cried out to God to to answer, to to give understanding, to give us some clarity. And uh, She then had an opportunity with work to go to California. So in the midst of this moment of crying out to the Lord, she gets on a plane and she goes to California. And in California, she decides to go to church. She turns up at a church building and she begins to pray that the Lord would speak to her. And in the midst of praying, a woman that she had never met came up to her. And this woman, after asking her if she was okay, went on to say this. She said, I want to tell you that your son is in the right place. And Alberta went, what? She said, you have a son, yeah? He's 19 years old. He passed away, right? That moment changed everything for Alberta and her family. At that moment, the burden that she'd been carrying, the confusion that had weighed her down got lifted because in that moment, she recognized that there is a God who cares for her, who cares for them, who knew what they needed. That he cared enough to send a stranger to come and talk to her. In fact, I had the privilege this week of sitting with Alberta and her husband and uh, asking how that moment changed their life. And she shared with me that from that moment, there has been a peace 
that enabled her to continue to trust more deeply in God, a peace that settled her internal distress, a peace that gave assurance. And then she turned to me and she said this, it gave the assurance to wait on the Lord and trust. And through all that, know that our God will show up. And then her husband said, he always does. See, the journey to joy is not rooted in feelings of happiness or pleasant circumstances. It is a faith that is clung to in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of confusion, trusting that there is a God who gives joy, whether we understand it or not. But it begins as we surrender our pain and our struggle and our sorrow and our deep hurts. The title for today is Give God Your Grief. If we're holding on to our grief and our pain, our hands are too full and we can't receive anything. And it's as we surrender those wounds and that pain and that struggle, as we turn to God and we say, would you change me and transform me, as we confess our fear and our failures and our struggles and our sinful ways, as we thank Him, for who he is, that he is present, for setting us free and what he's done in our life in the past, for the joy of knowing him each day as we choose to worship. And there've been moments in my own life in the midst of struggle that all I can do is put on a worship song. I haven't got the strength to even sing, but there's something about worship and setting our heart in a posture of worship. And from that place comes obedience and listening to the heart of God. See, faith is choosing to hope. It's clinging to him in the darkness, in the confusion, and in the pain. It's knowing that whether we understand it or not, God is present and he loves. It's inviting him into our hurts, into our sorrows, into our grief, that we can find him. That may not happen as quickly and in the moments that you want, but it will happen because he is good. And he is your father and he loves you and he longs to reveal himself to you. The third thing I wanna share today is that there is a crown of joy. Not only is there a promise of joy, not only is there a journey to joy, but there will be a crown of joy. And we see that in verse 10, that we will receive a crown of joy. And it is in this moment that the people of the Lord and the joy of the Lord are united in one. That actually the fullness of all that's promised will be received. And here comes the big question, has it taken place already? Yes, Isaiah wrote 700 years before the coming of Jesus. Yes, the people of Judah were exiled and they returned. Yes, the little baby would be born. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the joy giver would come. And he would live and die and rise again that we might know the living God. But still we live in a fallen world, don't we? 
still we live in, in a situation of struggle and turmoil and confusion and pain and suffering. It happens all around us. And so, yes, there may have been glimpses through the generations of what God was doing, that he would bring the exiles back, that he would send his son. But there is a hope ahead. And one day we will see him face to face. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords will be in front of us and we will be crowned with joy. We will know him and be fully known by him. As Revelation promises, there will be no more pain and no more suffering. The lion will lie down with the lamb. And until that day, we live in this tension between what has already taken place with Jesus defeating death and sin and what will fully take place when he returns. We're living in that already and not yet. We live in the tension of what is coming and yet is not fully here. And for this moment, we have the same challenge that the people Isaiah was speaking to had. Will we trust in God? Or will we trust in everything else? Will we trust that he can bring joy? Or will we try to fix all our needs in whatever way we can? In March 2018, I had meetings in Avon, Connecticut, and then over in Massachusetts, and then I was going to go up to New Hampshire. And um, I set off for these meetings. And then they got cancelled. So the meetings in New Hampshire got cancelled because there was all this talk of a nor'easter coming through. And so as the meetings got cancelled, I called my husband and I said, um, you know, my meetings have got cancelled. I'm here in Massachusetts. I was thinking I should come home. Now you have to know that Andre is the sensible one in our family. And so I turned to him, expecting him to challenge me if I was being a bit stupid. But he was like, no, that's fine. He said, come on home. Do you know, he felt such a peace about me coming home. So I said, okay, I'll come home. So I got in my car and I started driving and I drove through Massachusetts and I really didn't see what the big fuss was all about until I hit the state line for Connecticut. And it was as, as if I entered Narnia. It suddenly went white. It was amazing. The trees were heavy with snow. White was coming out of the sky. It was like instant Narnia. So I kept driving. I'm going home. But it was hard going. It was slow work. And as I kept going, the darkness began to come down. In fact, there were moments on that drive where I no longer knew if I was driving around a bend or not. In fact, I had one moment in the car and I'm like, Lord, I don't know if this road is curving or not. And as I prayed that prayer, from nowhere came a snowplow and all I could see were these blinking lights. And so I followed the lights. At another moment, I'm driving and I'm feeling incredibly peaceful. I can't explain it, but it was an amazing moment. I'm feeling incredibly peaceful. And, and then I look at my gas um, meter and I'm like, oh, I'm a little low. And so at that moment I said, Lord, I don't know, do I come off or do I keep going? I don't know what's the right thing to do. And at that moment, as I prayed that prayer, my gas light came on and I realized I was at an exit. So I came off and I filled up and 
I even had a moment where I spun the car around, but still I was safe. I knew I was going to get home. And as I look back on what should have been the most terrifying drive of my life, I cannot explain to you the miraculous sense of the presence of God in that car and in that moment. And it was the same peace my husband felt in saying, come home. And you know, if you were to ask me now, how do you describe trust? Trust for me is total darkness, lots of white floating snow in the midst of the headlights of my car and a tiny piece of guardrail, all I can see. For me, the question of trust is, will you trust the Lord that he knows where you're leading, where he's leading you? For me, that picture of trust has become such a real and vivid image. I couldn't see very far, but I knew who was with me and I knew he'd lead me home. Do you know what it is to trust in that God? 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we live by faith and not by sight. This Christmas, will you look to the joy giver? Whatever your circumstances, will you look to him to pour out his peace, to pour out his hope, to reveal his joy, to be present in this moment? To give him your grief and your sorrows and your pain and your hurts that you might receive the joy that only the joy giver can bring. May you know that joy this Christmas season and into the year ahead. God bless you.